This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome to our Monday, August 19th, 2019 edition of Invest Talk. And as always, there's a lot to cover today, and we're going to try to get to it all. But ultimately, we want to know what is on your mind. That's what this show is about. Each and every weekday, you call in, you ask your questions, whatever they are, finance-related, and we do our best to answer them with unbiased advice. We're just here to give you our perspective, the information that we have, that we gather each and every day in order to invest for clients, invest for ourselves, etc. And there's a lot of variables at play. And our job is to try to simplify them as much as we can. It's never ultra simple. Don't ever expect it to be because this is not uh, a game that that has, this isn't a puzzle that has five pieces, okay? This is a puzzle that has hundreds of pieces. We can break them down into chunks and kind of simplify them uh, maybe down each section into uh, a smaller bites. Uh, But ultimately, you really need to have your grasp on a lot of different parts of the investing experience. So, Our job is to answer all of those questions, help you put your financial puzzle together, your financial freedom puzzle, because your financial freedom puzzle is going to look a little bit different than the next person's, okay? So we definitely want to help you, and we do this each and every weekday with a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. Now, today in this hour... My goal is to get you one step closer to your ultimate goal of your own version of financial freedom. So I'm, I'm taking your calls right now, live at 888 chart 888-992-4278. Now, my main talking point today concerns a story of uh, an analyst at UBS that came out and said, buying the dip is now likely to be a losing proposition. And, you know, ever since the financial crisis, it's really been advantageous to buy the dip, right? Every time the markets dipped to any significant extent, well, central banks, whether here in the United States or globally, came in, provided liquidity, and juiced the market higher. And the big question is the recent drop, you know, it hasn't been much. I think the bottom, we were down 5%. From the all-time highs, maybe 6%. Well, this analyst says it's a losing proposition to now buy the dip as opposed to the last 11 years or so where buying the dip was always advantageous. So we're going to talk about what he means by that, why he's saying that, and whether I agree with that or not. Also, medical expenses. Medical expenses in retirement are very expensive. But most people don't have a grasp on how much they really need for medical expenses in retirement, okay? So we're going to get to that and kind of try to give you some statistics and you can compare where you're at and what your expectations are when it comes to savings as well as expected spend in retirement. Also, 
What happens in retirement if you or your significant other pass away, right? What are the options for the survivor, uh, widow, widower, etc.? And then lastly, CEOs are paid 278 times more than the average U.S. worker. And I'm going to talk about why that is and what those trends have been over time. So those are the things that are on my mind. That's what's interesting to me in today's market and on today's show. But ultimately, I want to know what's on your mind. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. Let's take a quick look at the market today. It was a pretty strong up day, uh, very similar to what what kind of day we had back in, what was that? It was, a lot, was it early last week? Maybe two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, uh, we had a couple positive up days, and we reversed those rather quickly, reversed that day rather quickly. Uh, and every time we kind of get up to this 9240 level or so on the S&P, we, we fail. Uh, we're back to around those levels as well. Uh, again, and the big question is, are we going to finally break through after a couple of tests of this level? Now, the more you bang on a, a resistance level, the higher odds it gets through it. Uh, and right now, we're still trading below the 50-day moving average, but now above the 100-day moving average on the S&P. So, and I said this for, uh, I've said this for a couple weeks now, is I could see some chop here. Uh, you know, the market kind of broke down after the Fed meeting. The Fed didn't ease enough. They only eased a quarter basis point or quarter point when the market was kind of asking them to do more. And while it was a start and, uh, you know, I talked about the fiscal deficit and the fact that we are running massive deficits right now fiscally because of the tax cut, because of entitlements that have built up over the years, because 10,000 baby boomers a day retire and add to the government's basically payroll, right? Because they're, they're, they're spending money on Social Security and Medicare, Medicaid, etc., And the Fed is simply going to need to get to the point where they are increasing the amount of dollars in the system in order to monetize the debt. And that's ultimately where we're going to be going. And that's where the Fed will have to go eventually if they don't want a major breakdown in the markets. So that's why you saw that little breakdown in uh, early August. And now we're chopping. You know, we're chopping sideways, I think, for a resolution to Jackson Hole, I believe is this week, this week or next, early next week. And I, I know it's the end of August, so I don't know exact data. I always forget exactly what date it is. It changes every year. But Jackson Hole is where the, all the central bankers around the world get together and they discuss what's happening in the global economy and they probably plan who's going to do the next stimulus, etc. And there's speeches out of Jackson Hole that indicate what the Fed is going to do next. And I think that's what the market's kind of waiting on now. Fed meeting in September. Are they going to do just another 25 basis points? Are they going to go more aggressive to 50 basis points? Are they going to go to 75 basis point cut? That's a big question. Now that's what I plan for today's show. That's all the things that are on my mind. But first, let's grab a question from our anytime listener line at 888-9. Oh, actually, we're going to go to a break real, real quick. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. And as you know, it's important to keep your portfolio strategically balanced in this type of market. 
And due to strong demand, Steve's upcoming August and September portfolio review consultation dates are fully booked. But he has added new dates, October 10th in San Jose and November 7th and likely 8th in New York City. So this will be your chance to get Steve's one-on-one, no-cost portfolio review guidance in a personalized sit-down session. We can do that over the phone as well if you aren't going to be in those areas. But to reserve your spot for a free complimentary consultation, by reg- go to, go to investtalk.com. And now I'm taking your questions live at 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk, and we are all watching the markets go up, then down. So now, more than ever, you need unbiased investing guidance. Justin Klein is here taking your questions live. Call 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Greg in New York. He wants to talk about real estate. Hey, Justin, how's it going? It's going well. Awesome, man. Just a quick question. So I'm a first-time real estate investor. Uh, it's my first property I've ever had in New York City. And it got a good for a good price. It's making some decent income. But I was just curious, how do you really evaluate the, the value of a property? And then B, is this a market right now that you could sell it, or do you suggest holding on to an investment property for a little longer? Well, in this late in the economic cycle, and I've been telling this for two people for a couple of years now, because we, you know, we're, the market started to slow generally nationwide, probably early last year, right? And, and I've been saying this for maybe two, two and a half years, saying if you're going to buy a property, you want to be having a long-term time horizon, okay? And if you have property and you don't want to hold it for seven, eight plus years from now, then you want to be selling that property sooner rather than later because the odds are over the next five to seven years, there's going to be more buyer's markets in that time frame versus seller's markets. Uh, simply that's how the economic uh, uh, cycle ha- uh, plays out in the real estate market. And it's also a very slow-moving market compared to, you know, say, the stock market, for example. Um, so you have to ask yourself, what is your time horizon for being a landlord owning this property? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying you to look an answer, to offset it just right now just because I, I run multiple businesses. I'm trying to not get myself distracted. So that's why I was curious on how you would evaluate, the, I guess, the, the property. Well, I always uh, value a property first on cash flow. Uh, what type of cash flow is it? Is it offering? Uh, and, and then I say, okay, is that is that with a property manager uh, that you know zero headaches, or am I having to do this myself? And what's my time and risk involved in in managing that uh, from a maintenance perspective? You know, how much potential maintenance is there uh, that could go into? Could I go and have to put in a new air conditioning for? whatever, eight ten thousand $10,000 that I didn't expect. You know, what's the what's the condition of the property and, and what's the risk involved with that? If it's a brand new property, maybe it was recently built over the last five or 10 years, you have to worry about that a lot less. But I'm assuming in New York City, it's probably an older property. Yep. Yeah. So I, I, would, I would consider those factors uh, as well. And then I would price that in. What do I expect over those next five to seven years 
to be the expected uh, maintenance cost over that time? And is that covering the is the cash flow covering that level of maintenance cost? Right, because yes, you could be cash flow positive a couple hundred dollars for uh, a couple of years, not have any major uh, repairs you need to make, and suddenly there is a five thousand dollar expense that just wiped out all your positive cash flow for the last couple of years, and therefore that risk potential is much higher. And do you want to be a landlord? Being a landlord isn't for everybody. Are you managing this property yourself? Yeah, unfortunately. And what's that experience like? Uh, it's more of a hassle just because of the driving distance to get back there and back and forth and stuff. And having a super in there who's not the most honest person, it's not easy to control. Now, are you are, are you cash flow positive in it? Yeah, it's about, uh, if I had to guess, around like 22000 right now profit a year. But it has potential of upwards around like forty five. Okay, and that's that's a pretty nice cushion there, right? Uh, your 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 New York City, uh, the the rents probably ebb and flow uh, pretty pretty regularly, uh, but twenty two thousand is a nice solid cushion there. So really, it comes down to you are you're a landlord now, and do you want to continue to do this? Like you said, you have multiple businesses. Is this something you want to continue to do for the next eight ten years? Because frankly. The odds are the next really great buying opportunity is, or sorry, selling opportunity is going to be farther off, right? You wait another year, two, three years to sell this. Uh, it's likely that you're in more of a buyer's market at that point versus a seller's market that you're kind of in today. I'm not super familiar with the with the New York City market currently. I know it's weak in some, um, but you have to ask yourself: Do you want to be a landlord for an extended period of time? Thanks for the call. You're listening to Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. If you've been listening to Invest Talk for a while, you have heard myself and Steve say that every investor should determine their own individual risk tolerance. And you can do that at investtalk.com. You take a free risk questionnaire, 199 score, and we're able to tell you whether your portfolio is invested properly for your particular level of risk tolerance. Because when the market gets volatile, you need to be able to keep a level head. And if your portfolio is too risky for your risk tolerance, you're likely not going to keep a level head. Now I'm ready to take your questions live at 888-99-CHART. This is Talk. Summer is moving fast and your path to financial freedom begins with the right strategy. You've got questions, Steve and Justin have answers. Call now, 888-99-CHART. Eight 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 ninety nine chart eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight. We have about a half hour left in the show, so if you're going to call, I urge you to do it sooner rather than later. Let's take a quick look at some key benchmark numbers today. Gold was down a little bit, about fifteen oh seven an ounce. That's uh, in line with what I've been saying. I know I had a caller early last week saying he had calls. I believe it was on GDX saying you should probably take some off the table. This recent move was a little overbought. We're likely to have some pullback in the gold market, and you're starting to see a little bit of that. Okay, you're starting to see a little bit of this bullish positioning being uh, corrected in the market, and ultimately that's healthy. This pullback 
so far in the gold market has been very mild. It's a very mild, two, actually the last uh, two days, only been two days, but it's very controlled, steady, nothing impulsive to where there's big swaths down in the market, which to me tells you that it's a healthy market, a healthy pullback so far. Oil was, I believe, up a little bit today, 55.83 uh, a barrel, and that's because of the positive sentiment around potential trade war, truce, as well as stimulus coming out of central banks. The two-year yield was at 1.75% and the 10-year at 1.63%. So that inversion, the 210 inversion continues and it's actually getting a little bit worse, which is really interesting. Bitcoin Bitcoin was at $10,700 per coin and once again, continues to consolidate right around that 10,000 mark. And technically, it's just a bullish pattern, whether you like Bitcoin or not. And I've said that the cryptocurrency space is not going anywhere. It'll evolve. It'll improve. It'll get better. It might take three, five years. It might take 30 or 50 years. Odds are it's probably somewhere between. But that's frankly where I think the I think what's an important area that everyone needs to be watching because I do think the digitization of currency is a trend that is only going to continue and the decentral the, the decentralization of currency and the disintermediation technology is going to have in the currency markets just like it has in a lot of different sectors is going to continue. The big tech is getting a lot of pressure from the Europeans and in France a digital service tax of 3% on gross revenue is going to hurt some of the big tech players. This is gross revenue, not profits. So if there's a 30% margin, which a lot of tech names have a higher margin than that, but let's say there's a 30% margin, which is still a healthy margin on a business, a 3% tax on revenue cuts earnings by 10%. Right? So long-standing global norms are giving tax authority to countries where companies are headquartered and perform functions like developing intellectual property are changing. Digital companies can do business in countries without being physically present, so profits aren't taxed there. France, on the other hand, like a number of other countries, argue that it should be able to tax the businesses because each French user creates value by viewing ads, making purchases, etc., so in France, a 3% tax applied to large digital companies, Google, Facebook, etc., targeting revenue from online advertising, user data, etc., is now going to hurt. It's going to hurt the bottom line of those businesses within that operate within those countries. It was signed into law in July, and it re- applies actually retroactively to the start of the year. Crazy. So by the time these tech companies pay taxes at the end of the year, they're going to owe France if this is not repealed. Pretty interesting. And I think this is only going to continue. The wealth gap between the rich and the poor is getting wider, continues to get wider. A lot of that has to do with Wall Street CEO practices, And though the companies that are making the most money in today's world 
are the tech companies. And so they're going to be targeted more and more because they're such a vital part or some say intrusive part into our lives each and every day. Now the brick and mortar ice age continues. JCPenney is at risk of delisting. Its stock has lost two thirds of its value just in the last year. For the 12 months ending February 2019, JCPenney's report, reported losses of $255 million. Net sales shrink 7.1%. Macy's disappointed second quarter earnings report suggested that retail is in worse shape than anyone might have thought and could decline much, much further. You saw that. I had a caller recently asking if Macy's was a safe bet. And I think a few days later, the stock tanked 20, 30% on earnings. So it just shows the consumer is slowing and the increasing digitization of retail is only accelerating. And when overall spending declines, it's going to hurt those weaker players more than the stronger players, at least initially. Now, on tomorrow's Invest Talk, the nine smaller cities preferred by millennials for low home prices and robust economies. What are the country's up and coming metro areas? That story is tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein and I'm ready to take your questions at 9 chart. Overall, I feel pretty good about our investment decisions. But there are times I wonder if our current 401k plan could be doing better. I mean, which funds are the right funds for me, for us? You're listening to someone who could benefit from KPP Financial's active 401k program. I can't spend all my time following the market, and I'm sure it would certainly be a big help to receive advice based on real data from unbiased advisors. The active 401k program features math-based models to guide you in and out of the various investment options in your plan. KPP monitors and advises you take action. With the active 401k program, KPP clients immediately see current investment recommendations configured to match their personal plan preferences. Active 401k. Okay. Take the next step toward your financial freedom. The great thing about achieving financial freedom, you can keep working if you want to, but you don't have to. And here's more good news. KPP clients who are active 401k subscribers will receive a complimentary subscription to the KPP Premium Newsletter. Each Friday, Steve Peasley writes a market action and trend newsletter that serves as a quick summary of the week that was. It also includes stock ideas, portfolio management information, and consumer finance tips. So enroll in the Active 401k program and also get the KPP Premium Newsletter. Start with a contact call to KPP Financial or visit kppfinancial.com. This is Invest Talk, the radio program and podcast dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom. You may be a regular listener, you may even have called a few times, but if you've never called, what are you waiting for? The phone lines are open and Steve and Justin would love to hear your questions right now. Call 888-99-CHART. Let's go to James in New York. Wants to talk about Amazon. Uh, Yes, I already have some. 
and I've had it for some time, and I'd like to pick up a little bit more, but I'm kind of waiting, and I just wanted to know what you think maybe the right level is to pick up some more. My thinking was the absolute max I'd like to pay is about 1400 per share. Uh, do you see that maybe going down to those levels before the year is closed? Before the year is closed, maybe. That's certainly possible. It did get there late last year, and it tried to make new highs recently, and it's failed. And technically, there's a lot of weakness on the longer-term charts. Weekly, monthly, the MACD has rolled over on the monthly. It is consolidating bearishly on the monthly as well. And it's just looking uh, technically rather poor. And it's a, it's an expensive stock. Still a good company, but an expensive stock. So... You know, the, the toughest thing in charting is time frame. You know, you can say whether a chart is bullish or bearish, but when it's going to actually break down or break out is always tough to say. Uh, but I would say that the market is likely to have a, a larger pullback at some point through the end of the year. And that's a nice time frame when I could see it getting back down to that 1400 level. Now, ultimately, I do think. Uh, it actually gets down over the next couple of years as regulation picks up, as the economy slows. I actually think it gets down to around $1,000 a share, maybe even the 800 level. Those are kind of my more longer-term targets of where I would like to pick up Amazon, where they would be a relative solid value at those levels. 1400 still is a little expensive. Uh, I would be actually targeting, at least in the near term, the 1300 level. That would be my first big long-term support level. It's about 1280, 1300. Um, so that's the level I would be targeting. Will it get there this year? I would say likely. But I think almost definitely sometime between now and the end of next year. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks for the call, James. That was Amazon AMZN. Now, my main talking point today concerns a story that UBS says that for stocks, buying the dip is now likely to be a losing proposition. And the reason they say that is because they studied PMIs purchasing manager indexes worldwide. And basically what they're saying is that when PMIs are rising, meaning going higher and above the 50 level, 50 means that the industrial side of the economy is growing, anything over 50. If it's below 50, it is shrinking, okay? And for a while now, it's been for the better part of a year plus for many European nations, Japanese, Asian uh, economies, PMIs have actually been below 50 for a while. Ours here in the United States has been above 50 for basically since I think 2016. Remember we had that little dip in the market. The ECB started printing money created liquidity in the system, boom, the economies got better. And right now, we're just above 50. 50.8 to be exact. Now, history shows that over the last nine full economic cycles, going back to 1974, that buying the dip works best when leading economic indicators like PMIs are accelerating. There's risk on periods, 
and there's risk off periods. Now when it's accelerating, all nine out of nine times when you had a pullback like uh, of, of any decent magnitude, it was great to buy the dip because markets were higher soon after. But the story changes when PMIs are contracting. When it's above 50, and the closer it is the 50 line, the more it fails. When it's above 50 but falling, you need to be weary of buying the dip. And when PMIs are contracting, outright contracting below 50, only one out of nine times is it smart to buy the dip. Now we are still above 50.8. So it's going to be interesting to see if that continues. Do we, do we get a little rebound? Do we stay above that 50 level? And they also say that there are two other factors that are important as well and neither line up. One is corporate earnings. Corporate earnings are deteriorating. And interest rates with a lag effect, an 18-month lag effect, show that tightening is still hitting our economy. Right? The Fed was raising rates as soon as last December, not eight, nine months ago. And interest rates were rising pretty markedly 18 months ago. Much higher than they were today. So higher interest rates, tightening monetary policy, always takes a while to filter into the economy. And according to this study, 18 months is how long it takes. Now the low interest rates over the past eight months have will take effect next year into 2021 but right now you're feeling the effects of the tightening of 2018 2017 so just understand that this pullback that we're going to get in the market it's going to need juice it's going to need the fed to increase dollars in the system to go back to printing money doing qe and it may not be just, it may not be us, it may be another central bank worldwide. Now the ECB has kind of done all they can, Japan has kind of done all they can. A lot of central banks are have, have, are out of policy tools, not out, but they've used a lot of their policy tools and they haven't reloaded their guns. The Fed is the only one that's really reloaded their guns with a few rate hikes. And it's likely to be the Fed that eases policy here next and in a dramatic way, and that could push the markets to new highs. It could, but they're going to need to do it at a faster pace than normal simply because of the amount of debt in the system as well as the level of dollars that are being sucked up by the treasury issuance. In order to borrow money, the treasury needs dollars to borrow. And the only way you create dollars in the system is the Fed prints it, or banks lend it out using their fractional reserve system. So there's going to be need to be a bazooka from the Fed, I think, in order to save the market from its next big dip. Which you know we got a little bit one, a little bit of one, but it's likely to be bigger in the second half of the year. 
Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we stream and broadcast Invest Talk live in the 4 o'clock Pacific Time hour each weekday. You can all also listen 24 7 via our archive podcast at investtalk.com. And of course, you can listen, subscribe, and rate the Invest Talk podcast at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. And we definitely appreciate those five star reviews. I hope you tell your friends and family members about Invest Talk. And now the lines are open and we're taking your finance and related and investing related questions at 888 chart This is Invest Talk. And if you live or work anywhere in Southern California or the New York City area, Steve Peasley has added new dates to his portfolio review consultation opportunities. Serious investors understand that a balanced portfolio is essential to achieving financial freedom. And Steve Peasley can sit down with you, analyze your positions, and then offer to make strategic improvements. Steve has added Thursday, October 10th for San Jose, and he's added Thursday, November 7th for New York City. There is no cost and no obligation. Don't delay. Head to the Portfolio Review page at investtalk.com and register now. The Invest Talk radio and podcast continues. The phone lines are open. Call with your questions. 888-99-CHART. Let's go to John in Santa Cruz. He wants to talk about gold. Yes. Hi, Justin. Um, I wanted to get your opinion and advice about uh, what percentage of my portfolio should be in gold and gold equities, because um, right now I'm at about 10%, and I'm tempted to go higher because just the, the way things are going. Um, so, and if if you're buying more gold, like at what point, there's a little bit of a pullback now, but at what point would you buy more if you're going to? Um, okay, well, I'll start with the, the last question, question first. Okay. Now the, the gold gold consolidated in much of July and into early August around the thirteen uh, twenty five level or so, and I think it, when it gets back to those levels where you saw in June July uh, time frame, that's the area that I would be accumulating. It, it, it found a nice solid consolidation base there. Oftentimes you see a breakout and a retest of that base before the you know sent higher. And so we got maybe 20% of the way there today, but I think there's a little bit more to go in the gold market. Now, the next question is how much gold should you have in your portfolio? And my first question is, what type of investor are you? Are you an aggressive investor, conservative, moderate? With time, because of just the way things are going with the uh, market cycle, and I'm I want less exposure to um, stocks, yeah, equities. Well, I understand that, but so, in general, yeah. how much volatility are you willing to take? Because gold is a volatile asset. It can be volatile in, to, to, uh, in a great way for you if uh, you're in it at the right time. But you know, the 2011 to 2015 time frame show that gold can have massive volatility, especially gold mining stocks, for example, who fell in a, in a dramatic fashion over that time frame. 
Um, and so you really need to understand what level of risk you want to take. If you are an aggressive investor, then I think 15 to 20% of your portfolio in gold is plenty fine if it's aggressive, right? If you are a more conservative investor, you can't handle the volatility, you can't take the 10, 15, 20% moves in a month in say gold miners, for example, then you only want to have a sprinkle of gold, five, maybe 7% of the portfolio. If you're more moderate, I would say 10 to 15% is probably the max I would do is 15% if you're only a moderate investor. But if you're aggressive and you really understand the concept of why gold is important in this type of market, understand the level of volatility that historically has, then I think you can go up to 20%, but you need to be aggressive. You need to be an aggressive investor. Okay. Thanks for the call, John. Let's go to Sam in Cupertino talking about Home Depot. Hey, how are you? Thanks for taking my call. I'm well. What can I do for you? Um, I wanted to get your opinion on Home Depot. Is this a good time to enter? What do you think about uh, the stock? Uh, well, you're kind of at a triple top here around this uh, 200 to 15 level on Home Depot. You have made higher highs, so that's positive, and the trend remains higher. Uh, technically, it is deteriorating. You're late in the cycle. You have a housing market slowdown. That's the negatives. The positives are interest rates are now much lower. It's a lot easier to do cash out refinancings, to uh, remodel your home. There's more uh, activity on that front. Um, but broader economic trends remain slow, remain, to, remain declining to some degree, however you want to describe them. So I don't think Home Depot is a great buy right here. Uh, now, it's not trading at super expensive valuations based on current earnings. But as I said, this is a very cyclical type of stock. And so I would not be buying Home Depot here just simply based on where we are in the economic cycle. Got it. Sounds good. Thank you. Thanks for the call, Sam. 888 chart eight eight nine nine two four two seven eight. We are going into the last segment of the show. So if you're going to call, you want to do it sooner rather than later. After the break, I'm going to touch on how to plan for medical expenses in retirement. Did you know that according to Fidelity Investments, a 65-year-old newly retired couple will need $280,000 for medical expenses in retirement? That doesn't include long-term care insurance. And I'll tell you how much that costs after the break. So that's what we're going to get to. And then also your questions, whatever you have on your mind, Whatever it is, finance, investing related, give us a call, ask it. Now tomorrow, the nine smaller cities preferred by millennials for low home prices and robust economies. Steve's going to talk about that. Now this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here, and that's to help you achieve your own personal version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this break, the last break of today's show. So get your questions in right now at 888-99-CHART. On the next Invest Talk, the nine smaller cities preferred by millennials for low home prices and robust economies. 
So what are the country's up-and-coming metro areas? That story tomorrow. But now Justin Klein is here, ready with answers, and he's waiting for your questions. Call Justin, 888-99-CHART. Uh, hey guys, Ben from New York here, big fan of the podcast. Hey, I have a question about mortgages. I have heard Justin say to a caller before that it, rather than paying the mortgage, normally if you take your monthly payment amount, split it in two, and then pay it every two weeks, you're better off. I guess you're saving interest if you do that. So my question is, though, rather than doing that, if you simply pay your monthly amount, say at the beginning of the billing cycle versus when it's due, are you doing the same? So rather than taking your monthly amount, splitting it in two and paying that every two weeks, if you were paid to pay the monthly amount, but much earlier in the month, would you achieve the same goal? Great. Thanks. Bye. Uh, the answer is yes. The sooner you have money to pay uh, a debt in any way, the sooner that's when you want to pay it. Uh, it's qualified to you know pay that monthly payment. Obviously, you want to pay it as soon as possible. Why have it sitting in your bank account, not collecting interest when you're getting charged interest on that particular loan? So yes, uh, that would be even better. Now most people they get paid twice a month. Right, and one of their paychecks pays for their big overhead expenses, a mortgage, car payments, etc., and the other might pay for a lot of everyday goods throughout the throughout the month. And that's how most people are. And and that's why I say you just split that up in two separate payments and try to use that other one to pay for half, and then. The big one at the end of the end of the month or whatever you're you're using that to pay the other half. If you have the money though, well before the the mortgage is due, you absolutely want to be paying that in order to reduce the amount of interest that you're paying over time. So yes, the answer completely is yes. Now let's get back to what I talked about before the break, and that was medical expenses. Talk. Oh, actually, no. We ha- I'm guessing we have to get to to another show where it's going to talk to Ken in Walnut Creek. He wants to talk about real estate. Uh, hi, Justin. Thank you for taking my call. So, um, my wife is thinking about getting certified as a real estate agent just so that she would we okay. would save on a uh, um, uh, when we're when we're buying a home, we would save on the commission. Uh, do you think that's an okay yep. idea or? Yeah, I mean, if that's what she wants to do, she's still going to need a broker. There's still more to being an agent than just having a license. Uh, you know, you need to have a broker to run the transaction through, and there's overhead costs with that, and be able to find the right one, etc. So if it's just to one time save on commissions, it's kind of a, a process to get it, and there's still some costs in getting the real estate license. So to save on that one time transaction, doesn't make a, a lot of sense. Now, if that's the direction of her career that she wants to take it in, now's a good time just to do that if you're gonna go buy a house or maybe you're gonna be a real estate investor, you're gonna buy multiple properties. That can be advantageous as well. Um, now, there's another caveat with, are those properties here in California? Are they out of state, etc.? So, if it's just a one-time transaction, I don't think, really think it's worth it. But if it's part of an ongoing real estate transaction or a career change, 
Not a bad way to go. Okay. Uh, one, one more question. Sorry. It's kind of related to it. Uh, if you're buying, is, is there an advantage to using your own agent or is it okay? You think it's an okay idea to use the seller's agent? I usually say you want to use your own agent. There are potential conflicts between when you have uh, an agent acting for both parties. Uh, I know that happens a lot, but I rather have my own agent who's representing me, that's looking out for my own interest, that's being a fiduciary for me. Uh, not to say you you have to do it that way, but I would I, I would always have your own agent searching for properties, representing you, giving you advice that is best for your particular situation and not for you and maybe the seller. So I would definitely have your own agent. And if you need help finding one, give me a call. I can help you. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. I thank you for your loyal support and questions. Please come back tomorrow. Steve will be here and I return on Thursday. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. Invest Talk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listening line at 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART.